Welcome to They Coined It. Hey, Roberta. Hello, Dan. We dropped um, the Jet Set episode this week on our listeners, our discussion. Again, one of my favorites. And uh, I was I was remiss not to have mentioned on that on that broadcast that um, one of my favorite photographers, artists. Uh, is Slim Aarons. Do you know who Slim Aarons is? I have heard the name. I do not know, Dan, who Slim Aarons is. He was a photographer of like Hollywood, old Hollywood into into like the 60s and early 70s, maybe mid 70s actually. But Hollywood and, and Palm Springs was his oh. backdrop. So there's a very famous actually um, photo that he took, a Hollywood photo of like Clark Gable, um, Van Heflin, you know, like that kind of. I definitely know era. that picture. All right, I'm, I'm totally. All the guys in the tuxedos. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally googling right now. Anyway, that's a Slim Aaron's photo, I think, from early the earlier part of his career. But what he became even more known for uh, are pictures that look just like the Jet Set. <laughs> like, ta- exactly. like every picture is like a is Slim, like a storyboard. Slim Aaron's is known that whole mid century modern wow. uh, oeuvre. And I think I'm using that word correctly. I think I think so uh, too. Fact, I have two slim errands. We, I should say, I am I am I live with other people, but we have two slim errands photographs in my living room because they're just so wonderful to look at. They're really beautiful. Um, but if you've seen like beautiful people by a pool somewhere and you go, oh, that looks like vaguely Palm Springs, California, it's probably a slim errands photo. Um, or if you can imagine a. Um, a tiger by a pool. You've probably seen that before. It's kind of an iconic image, very colorful. That's Slim Aaron's. The beautiful people, the the rich people on the West Coast in the 60s and 70s. This was Slim Aaron's. The, the main one, the one that he's probably best known for, it's called Poolside Gossip of two women sitting in the foreground of a pool. We have a huge print of that in our in our living room above our couch. Oh, that's cool. Uh, because it's just fun, fun to look at. <laughs> it's an absolutely gorgeous photo of these two women chatting poolside and, you know, living the good life. Yeah, it's great. Um, so what we're doing here today is we're just sort of taking a breather after season two. We're not we're not exactly doing a season two wrap up. Um, we are gonna touch on a couple things about the season and a little a little uh viewer mail slash they asked it, uh, you know, clean, clean up. I love it. And, um, and also just a schmooze. Um, I have some, just what have I been watching and reading and stuff that I want to get into, but that's it. We're just kind of hanging out a little bit, taking a breather. And then we're going to take three weeks off. (laughs) Starting whenever, ending whenever, three weeks. Well, my brain's a little broken. It's been a really long year. Dan and I <laughs> disagreed mm. on the date no for five shit. full minutes because he was right. And I was like, no, it's the 18th. Anyway, we're coming back March 11th with, oh my God, season three of Mad Men. It's crazy. Season three. I wow. can't believe uh, we're really doing this, this podcast I can't believe thing. we did a season three, but here we are. We'll talk about it. And I think like four more, as I recall. I'm no expert. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. With the last one being split in half, but that's a whole nother story that is a whole nother story yeah that's right this is uh season season seven part one season seven part two yeah i you know as it's become a thing on network television right where they do these sort of mid-season finales and then take a longer break in between sort of 
like they take off a couple months. Like, yeah, it's just a way to have extra. Fin- it's as as Sherman Potter would say, horse hockey. <laughs> That's horse hockey. That was a mash. Nonsense. That was a mash reference. That was a mash kids. reference. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we need more. I think right. I think for season three, Dan, if we're going to change anything mm-hmm. up, more mash references. And uh, yeah, I think we could do that. Yeah, we can get a few, get a few, mash few Jamie Farr references, a couple Loretta Swit references, and uh, maybe a David Odkin Styers reference. So R.I.P. He was wonderful. That's, that's he was right. so great. He, he died nine years ago. <laughs> um, so you're not allowed to. <laughs> but anyway, so this is a wrap up and a preview of season three. Exactly. More mash exactly. references in season um, three. You know, speaking. Here's a segue. You're gonna love. Speaking of Jamie Farr on MASH, I have finally completed the entire RuPaul's Drag Race up until this point. I only started watching a couple of years ago. It was like kind of one of these shocking, it was, it was sort of like implausible that I had never seen it. And, and then a friend of mine was on a season, so I watched that season. And then I started going forward, going backwards and trying to get through it. And there's been a whole thing where at first they they were all on Prime and then they started charging for them on Prime because we keep getting more streaming services and everybody's competing. Anyway, finally caught up. Why I bring this up is it then allowed me to go back and really read this book that I had bought this year or last year by the great Tom and Lorenzo, who we reference frequently on this show because they had a, a few different Mad Men series on their blog, most notably Mad Style. I can't recommend it enough. Just Google Tom and Lorenzo Mad Style and Mm. eat it up. Um, But they wrote a book uh, that came out, I think it was just a year ago in February, March. It was their book tour. They had like one or two events and then the rest of it got canceled for the reasons everything got canceled last year. And the book is called Legendary, Legendary Children. And I just really want to recommend it. What it is They look at the history of a century, basically, of LGBTQ history. The history of the history. Good good job, person who speaks. I'm hanging in there with you. Yeah. And they sort of see how it all plugs into the different aspects of RuPaul's Drag Race. So just for example, the history of an importance of the lip sync in the, in the history of, of the LGBT community. So every aspect of RuPaul's Drag Race sort of has, a, has its roots somewhere. None of it is, as you like to say about Mad Men, none of it's by accident. Every piece from where they get dressed to just everything. And it's one of these books where you can just pick it up anywhere and start reading a chapter or reading a paragraph and, and you'll start to get, you know, it's not, it, it's nonlinear. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is so well written and is so informative. And now that I know the references, cause they'll bring it back to the, just like that time that so-and-so was talking to so-and-so and they, right. So now I, I have a fuller uh, capacity to, to understand the current history, but I recommend legendary children. Fabulous. Yeah. And the other thing, I mean, I've, I've, I don't know. I, I've been watching a lot of television this year. Um, <laughs> so no, um, Freaks and Geeks just dropped on Hulu um, oh. with apparently the restored soundtrack. I've never seen it. That's Judd Apatow's first show, right? It is Judd Apatow's first show. It's one of these things that people are like, you've never seen Freaks. You would love Freaks and Geeks. And I was I like- I don't think I've seen it. It's Paul Feig. Director of the shoot. Yeah. A little flashback in our history, you were like Paul That's Feig, right. and I was like, "Wait, who?" Because I, I don't, I don't 
see his movie. Like this isn't a genre of movies that I've been steeped in. So this is, is Judd Apatow and Paul Feig and it stars Linda Cardellini and James Franco and mm-hmm. Seth Rogen and Jason Siegel. But I, I didn't realize it was set in 1980. So it's much like the way that Mad Men starts in 1960, but it, it really is the fifties still, right? Mm-hmm. It's really like that, that, you know, there's a, these are seventies kids. And right. with that little bit of that little hint of eighties coming in and, and the punk, I don't think new wave was even a word yet. It was, it was punk was starting to mm. come in and it's just got a ton of heart. Like it's, it's sort of, it's double nostalgia because year 2000 show about 1980, but also mm. it's now 2021 and that was 2000 and all these kind of <laughs> legends who were just, you know, just putting a show together and most of us who are listening to They Coined It know that Linda Cardellini ends up being on a season of Mad Men. She's wonderful. And so anyway, it is just delightful. I mean, it just, it, it has so much heart and so much texture and and then one thing I, I noticed that I think is interesting that I think makes it a little timeless is the costuming isn't isn't heavy handed. And I think specifically mm. so that when you look at it, you can see yourself in it no matter what age you are. Like it doesn't it's <laughs> not like, oh, they look very 70s or very 80s or very anything. They just look like kids um, right. from any time. And I it's just beautiful. And I recommend it. Good stuff. You've been watching anything? Oh, God. Um, what are your kids watching? <laughs> like this watching. <clears throat> well, my 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 son's into Cobra Kai, but I think he like ran through that that uh, you know I guess it's season three. He ran through that in like half a day. You and I talked about that. I still haven't watched it. People love it. People our age love neither it. Neither have I. Neither neither have I. Frankly, and then um, my daughter now, I think she's on season three of Grey's Anatomy. Oh, she's no. going back to Grey's Anatomy. The kids love it. I guess they do. I've never missed an episode. I, it's still on TV. It's still on regular TV. And I've tried to quit it so many times because it's, it's stupid how not good it (laughs) is. I mean, they're on season 41. It's like them and the Simpsons at this point. It's on season 41. You know, these interns are all in their fifties. I was trying to explain to my daughter that Catherine Heigl is like now coming back, you know, kind of outcast from Hollywood, you know, but she's on season three, which is like prime time Catherine Heigl. And then I think she, you know, a little big for her britches, which is kind of stupid, right? Because isn't everybody in Hollywood too big for their britches? Like, I don't know what made her especially bad, but some, I guess people really took a fucking stick to her. It's so hard to know when you hear that about a woman in Hollywood. I know. What, what, where the truth lies, right? If it's, if it's sexism or if, she's just a, if she was just really terrible to be around. But how many difficult women in Hollywood have been not had their careers disrupted by it with all the rumors and all the reputation stuff? Right? No, I don't understand the question. I think lots of women- Barbara did. Streisand's known as, as being the most difficult woman on the planet to deal with. I don't ever hear, remember her like being off the grid for the better part of a decade. But Dan, when they go off the grid, you don't hear about them again. When you read the- when you when the Harvey Weinstein stuff came out and you heard the names of all these women who used to be on their way up and then they disappeared and you were like, oh my God, look at all those women that we used to know and then they disappeared. So I think to try to prove that somebody doesn't go off the grid. But the point that I'm saying is that that there are, that, that yes, that absolutely happens. There's a half a dozen off the top of my head you could name. My, my point is that 
when you do hear that someone's off the grid for a reason, right? Usually that yeah. reason, you know, and in this case, it wasn't it wasn't a Harvey Weinstein type thing that was that was rumored. Either a what you're saying, huh? What's the real reason? Or b, wow, what makes her different than other women who have that reputation who don't go off the grid? Because women, you know, <laughs> woman, man, if you can deliver a project and work your ass off and and whatever, sell if you're sellable, then that shit doesn't seem to matter. Plenty of difficult men, difficult women with those reputations. I, I just I think it's been very different in Hollywood for 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 women. I mean, it's been very different, difficult. Could be as a difficult woman. <laughs> let me tell you, it's not that easy for us. And when, and when you see what happens in just the workplace with men, but it just, I think, I think we can't, I, she may have been difficult, but I just think as a blanket statement that difficult women who are still valuable in Hollywood remain valuable in Hollywood. I think it's men deciding who's valuable in Hollywood. So Somehow, yeah, I don't, I don't think we can, we can really say that. The other piece of it is like the long list of people who have left famously left shows and we make fun of them, the Shelley Long, the David yeah, Caruso, right. you know, but there was also George Clooney mm-hmm. who left the smash show after the first season mm-hmm. and he, he did okay. He landed on his feet, if I remember correctly. He seemed to, yeah. you know, He's- the name still rings a bell, so... <laughs> <laughs> so you never know. But anyway, I was having that quick discussion with my daughter. And Catherine Heigl is great in those first. She was great and knocked up. Again, these are the movies I don't see. She those first couple of years of Grey's Anatomy were wonderful. Mm-hmm. They had an energy that was really unbeatable. But it, I'm telling you, I'm season whatever you said, forty seven hundred. I'm still yeah. watching it. I don't know why. I don't understand. Neither do I, and I never started. So anyway, that's where they're at. So yeah, lots of stuff that's out there. And then speaking of Shonda Rhimes. Have you seen Bridgerton? Bridgerton? I, no, I, I am like, for someone who considers himself up on pop culture, I watch almost nothing. And, and, and during off season- You're a busy guy. Ba- well, during, when it's not baseball season, I watch virtually nothing because even during baseball season, that's pretty much all I watch. I also watch at least two hours of news every night. So I've got my own issues. Yeah. Really, <laughs> so you've exactly. got your baseball and I've got like my, I can't get away from Rachel Maddow. Well, let's talk about her for a second. She, there's no one like her. I don't There's think no in, the history, like in the history of television. So let's just say that. I love her so much. Right? She's great. I love her so much. She's just every, and she's another one I, I want to quit. I'm like, I don't want to watch this every night. And then I'm like, <laughs> let me just turn on for, you know, let me just do the opening. And, yeah. and sometimes I can turn it off a few segments in. I can be like, all right, I, this is enough. I've got it. But <sighs> what, what I think is special about her, um, politics aside, you know, in terms of viewpoint or whatever. Because, you know, there's opinion talkers on the right and there's opinion talkers on the left. And um, regardless of, of the pure content, my daughter was has been getting into just political awareness. This was early in the Trump administration. And she was asking some really great questions. And I just said, you know, why this and how come that? And I just said, you know who asked those questions that you're asking is Rachel Maddow. Only she like has an hour on national TV every night to talk them through and try to get answers and bring people on to ask them why and and just explore. So a lot of the things that you're asking at, you know, the age of 15, um she's asking too on TV every night. So like let's start watching. So we would start watching. We would watch, you know, not every single night. That's a bit much, but um you know, if there was a, if, if there was a, <laughs> if there was a particular 
you know, the way it was the outrage of the, of the, of the afternoon or the week or what have you um, over the last four years, I would say, well, let's make sure we watch Matt out tonight. Let's see what she has to say. And we would sit down and watch it. And that's a, you know, a little bit of a bonding daughter, uh, daughter, dad thing. But um, it's interesting how fantastic she is at addressing these issues in ways that while she has her viewpoint, I don't think she hides it. Um, she really is able to, to rely on facts and rely on, you know, I don't know where the, that, that line is between being a commenter and a journalist, but I see her as a journalist, even though I think, you know, she might be really more of a commentator. And I think that's kind of interesting and well done that she does. So taking it as objectively as possible, she's fantastic. She's absolutely brilliant. There's no, there's, there's no denying that you can't, I mean, I, I, I could see hating her if you're, if you are some, somebody who, who finds liberal politics and progressive politics offensive to you, but. But I think even then there's a certain respect where you go, I just wish she wasn't I wish I wish she didn't exist because because she's you can't her process is not about riling people up, which is what sets her apart from commentators on the left and the right. There are some on there are some folks on MSNBC that although I might agree with them, I cannot bear to sit and listen to um, because of their process and because of their style. It's like all right, you're trying to push buttons more than you're trying to present something interesting. So she is not a button pusher. So similar to your daughter, I, I got I only got interested in politics and following politics once the the last guy who is no mm-hmm. longer in in the White House, uh, once he became the nominee, I was like, oh, I need to start I need to start paying attention. And I was like, where do people watch news? Okay, let me try, <laughs> <laughs> let yeah. me try CNN and and um and Anderson Cooper, and I watched that, and it was way too shouty, and I was like, all right, let me watch Rachel Maddow, and. I started watching every night because she started explaining things to me. One of the things that she she does consistently that started having me trust her is if some big some big story in the paper that day in the New York Times, and then she would set up the story and then bring on the person who wrote the story and say, "Did I get that right? Did I get anything wrong?" Right. She always does always that every that right. time. Yeah, and that's the journalist part of her. That that that's the journalist part of her, right? That says, "Have I framed this correctly?" So as we even begin our conversation, and that it's truly what sets her apart. That's a that's a great observation because it allows the conversation to begin on the proper footing of like, okay, I didn't just set you up to talk about my viewpoint, and now you're sort of like either going to contradict me or now you like as the guest, are you going to do that? I'm giving you every carte blanche to completely. Say I was wrong or correct me yeah. if necessary, which is nobody ever does that. And of course, you you watch other shows and other channels and it's like everything's a setup and everything's built for the conflict and the outrage. And you're just sort of like, all right, this is tiresome. She uh, really wants to get to the bottom of things, which is so terrific. Yeah. And uh, I mean, and it's a basic it happens in, in on the news and it happens in real life where it's like. I don't even agree with your premise. Yeah, like, your premise is you know, off. So, so we your can't, premise is off. So we're not having the same discussion here. Truly, um, which is where our politics have 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 split off. <laughs> so how do I transition to? But I wanted to ask you about Bridgerton. Yeah. Uh, the reason I brought it up is because, for real, and I'll get back to you on this. I think I just said yes to doing a Bridgerton podcast. More on that as it develops, but I, th- I think that's going to be a real thing. <laughs> and Bridgerton is so it's a Shonda Rhimes project. It's on Netflix. Most of you have watched it. 
<laughs> like it's delicious. It is romance novel. It is, it is just so it's delectable. It is so watchable and I can't recommend it enough. And it'll be really fun to dive into something that is, um, as, as I was speaking with, with Liz, who, who is my co-host, if we, if we push the button on this, I was like, it's going to be so much easier than talking about Mad Men because it's just <laughs> linear. <laughs> you know, it's just like a normal, a normal episode of television with like a few turns and twists and nothing like so twisty that it takes Dan and I, you have no idea what it takes to to put together the outline and kind of configure how the hell we're going to talk about an episode of Mad Men. <laughs> well, good luck on that. Thanks. We'll keep you posted. But look, let's let's get to some some Speaking housekeeping stuff on on Mad Men and season two. I'd like to I'd like to spend a minute, even if it's just a minute, on on this season. I feel like this season. Oh, gets, absolutely. We should do a little a little wrap up. Um, I don't think this season gets the respect that it deserves. I think sophomore efforts are always tough because of expectations from season one. But I won't say it was better than season one. I think that's kind of a false narrative to even compare them. When you look at season two, you're looking at a storyteller in Matthew Weiner who came out of the box, you know, shot out of a cannon with season one and the whole story about carrying around the screenplay for the pilot and finally getting it made and then having, you know, 12 other episodes to to conceive uh, now that he's finally caught the golden goose. And he did it, and he and he just knocked it out of the park. But but when you come to season two, now it's like really long term, and you've got to go. Well, what do I do with a guy like Don Draper? Right. What do I do with a Joan Holloway? What do I do with this marriage? What do I do with this guy who's, you know, top of the world, early sixties, but you know, all this rot underneath. It's what they say about with musicians. It's like it takes you know you spent twenty years writing your first album. That first album, true. It's exactly and then that. Yeah. Now we need another one. And with Matthew Weiner, it was one script. It's and it precisely really, that. It, yeah. it truly was one script. So everything, I guess, has been this sort of tell the first part of the story, get to the next part, tell the next part, and of course you're relying on you know people in a skyscraper somewhere to look at numbers and give you a decision whether you have more to write on this, whether you have to keep the story going. And and obviously after season one, he did. So he had to come up with season two. But this is a, fin- now that it's all wrapped and we know the entire thing, the whole series, and it's uh, all these years later, you look at it and you go, this is a perfect, season two is a perfect follow-up to season one. You know, you've got this kind of low boil on the marriage for most of the season. It ends up boiling over. You've got a Jimmy Barrett, Bobby Barrett, instigator, you know, a provocateur in a way to 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 needle the action going. Mm-hmm. You've got this, you know, last third of the season about California and getting out there and Anna Draper, which extends really from episode 1 of the season to the last episode. And boy oh boy does it does it it it, it rocks and rolls. It gives you it really gives you a satisfying follow-up to that season, even it's not. And again, season one was just sort of this amazing uh, shooting star, but um, season two achieves what it, what it needed to, I think. 
Ultimately, I agree with you. I think I'm, I've talked about this at length throughout the season. I think the season starts off with a lot of unintended confusion. I think some of it was intended confusion mm-hmm. and some of it was unintended confusion. And I right. think that ends up giving the season a bad rap. Right. Because it, it's playing with fire. Because you're, yeah. you're, 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 you're trying to lay these uh, misdirections and breadcrumbs around for your audience. Some they're going to pick up on, some they're not. And so you get a lot of, huh? Right. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a distraction rather than some, again, some of it really worked, but some of it was, was really confusing, distracting and detracting. IMO. I think, but I think less so over the years, right? You can get away from that when you're not watching it for the first time. Right. No, it's only the first time or although, you know, as we discussed back when we hit the the reveal of the baby, and and that was the uh, where I sat down with Lisa M. Lilly, who has the Buffy podcast, and we talked about the whole storytelling aspect of of both of both shows, and but talked about Peggy, and she was like, "Oh, I didn't realize, yeah, that Anita was pregnant in that shot, and that that's." That proved that Peggy's baby was not being raised by Anita. She's like, I didn't even get it. But it's at the same time, to go back to that first time, it was wondrous Mm. to come back. It was wondrous to come back from that that sort of pristine season one. And now you're coming back and it's come on, baby, let's do the twist. And 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 Joan's got a man, and there's this motion and and there's Peggy all skinny and there's no baby and she's kind mm-hmm. of moving around the office with a different, you know, chemical compound, really. Like she's just yeah. a whole different kind of energy and, and Betty riding the horse. So while there are stops and starts about about the early part of the season, there's also a, a wonder to it and an excitement. Yeah, a and like, oh my God, and this and is energy. the second. Right. And, and again, I want to go back one more time to the, the real time experience, which was like, we didn't know if we'd get a second season and then we got it. And then there was an extra long wait. I think that was yeah, the year of the writer's the strike. strike. And, yeah. There was a strike. You know, so it was like, and then you're, and then it's like, and then the, ep- and then the episode is actually starting at what we finally figure out as 14 whole months later. So like, mm. like that kind of, that kind of was a good match for the weight that we went for the anticipation. Yeah, it ended up mirroring. Yeah. You know, so it was a very exciting time as well, as bad as I've kind of talked about it. But when you look back at, at that part of it, and really the construction, you know, you, we kind of we go under the hood so much on this podcast. I brought it up on one of the earlier episodes. I can't remember which, but I think I referenced uh, Tilda Swinton, who was in Michael Clayton. She won the Academy yes. Award for Michael Clayton. Yep. Speaking and she's, of George Clooney, she and she said a uh, when when it was asked about the quality of their writing, and it was written by a, a screenwriter named Tony Gilroy, who was also the director of that movie, and she said, you know, Tony Gilroy writes. As if each character is written by a different screenwriter. Yeah, I remember you saying that. It was brilliant. Because each character exists independently, right? I mean, it's a, it's sort of a, oh yeah, isn't that obvious? And yet it's not obvious at all. And I feel like this this season was an amazing example of that, of each character having their own arc and their own reasons for doing things and acting the way that they do and and what their motivations are. Everything from Roger leaving Mona you know, which is like this shocking thing. And you go, well, yeah, that's Roger. That's actually what Roger might do and would do. And the Rogers of 1962 did that every day. And 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 the way Don lives with his secret and has to constantly cover and and live in this perpetual um, state of being found out. What is that like after we first learn of what this is all about and, and how that plays out 14 months later and, and, and going forward? 
and how that gets him to Palm Springs and back and, you know, all <laughs> these crazy gyrations. Pete and Trudy and Peggy, like, they're all and independent. Betty. They on oh, my Betty, you know, this was a, a, a season about Betty, unlike the way season one was, was really about Don, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's just so much of that under the hood when you begin to examine character by character and episode by episode, just how well crafted this thing is. It is, we say not by accident, but wow. I mean, it's sort of Herculean the amount of care and work that would go into doing it this well. Uh, and there was no drop off in quality from, from one to two in terms of the writing and, and those kinds of decisions. It's amazing. It's really something. It's really, it's really quite a, it's quite a season. You know, I don't think there's any bad ones. I think, I think some of them are darker than others as we, as we go forward. Yeah. There were no clunkers. In there's this. no bad season. Uh-uh. There's no like, no, it's still mad. It's still mad. <laughs> there's no like, Oh, I wish they, I mean, there's actually there's there's some controversy in season seven. Let's not. All right. Anyway, <laughs> well, not, well, not every episode of the whole series is phenomenal. That that's for sure. Well, which um, we've covered. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to them. You and I have talked about. Unfortu- unfortunately, we will get to them. But uh, but yeah, so yeah, I just I, I like that kind of perspective on season two in terms of the expectations after season one and where you take these characters. What 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 do you have happen to them? I mean, the character like Joan. My God! I mean, we 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 see obviously that she was she was raped in this season. That was um, uh, one of the most notable things about her experience. But um, you know, just the idea of the boyfriend. I got the perfect boyfriend. He's the doctor. And That's right. He's, and what is he? He's he's not not at all what what she hoped. It's funny. We were talking about Grey's Anatomy, and something I've said about Grey's Anatomy. And as you and I have noted, you sort of compare all television to Mad Men. Once you once you've been spoiled by Mad Men, Mad Men ruined TV for me. What happens on Grey's Anatomy after the first few years is they started sort of contorting their characters. Like let's like let's take these characters and throw them into this terrible situation and see how they'll react, and put them into this terrible situation and see Mm -hmm. how they'll react. With Mad Men, you know, when when people would ask Matthew Weiner about the future of these characters. Like, do you know? Do you know where Peggy's going to be in five years? Do you know? Mm-hmm. He always talked about their ages. He's like, I have a sense of where Peggy will be when she's 30. Kind of like that's, mm-hmm. that is how he envisioned the future for these people. So it comes back to surprising but inevitable. Yeah. You know, everything that Definitely. we see these characters go through and we will see them go through plenty more. But none of it is a plane crashed in the middle of the forest yeah. and <laughs> right. they all had to save each other. Like, it's it's not twisty. It's just life. It's just, oh, if you really look at who this character is. I mean, Joan's rape was a thing that happens. You know, mm. it wasn't the most crazy random thing in the whole world. It was a thing that happens. Peggy's pregnancy was a thing that happens. It was cool. Yeah. You were like, holy shit. And that's what always keeps the show out of the soap opera. Exactly. You know, the realm for me is that these things are not, it, it's not even the what happened, right? Cause Peggy's pregnancy, that's a soap opera. <laughs> that's straight out of the soap yeah. opera playbook, but it's how it's handled and how it's, folded into these characters' lives that really sets it apart. 
I mean, Don's Don's original backstory, that's a little twisty, but that's fine. Yeah. You can start a series, you can start a series with one wild premise and then and then see like how does that play out, you know? Anna Draper maybe is a little fantastical too, but but it's but she's plausible um, in in the Don Draper storyline. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna buy season one, then the uh, 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 Anna Draper has to exist. Yeah, well, but she doesn't have to be wonderful. That's what's that's actually no. what's fan, that's what's fantastical about Anna Draper. She right. she could have been like, I am suing you for every fucking dime you have. Like the she fact that have. they made her this wonderful character was a was a was a little bit of a a, a twist. But if the Anna Draper. Who, or the the person who was married to the real Don Draper was one to do that. If she was, then Dick Whitman, who became the new Don Draper, would not be able to pull off what he pulled off in his life. So she enabled the Draper we see in season one, that's fully formed as far as we know, to exist. If she sued him or cut him off at the knees or didn't support him living a full and rich life. We wouldn't have made it to 1960 to watch this show. Yeah. <laughs> I gotcha. He would still be, you know, God only knows, uh, you know, he'd be riding the rails. He'd be a hobo. Cause that, that's who he was. Right. Um, but so, yeah. So, so in a way you can say, no, 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 Anna had to be <laughs> for us to get where we are. No, that's a fair, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. That. But again, I don't think, I think that's all, Part of the thinking, not that they're thinking the way I'm saying. I'm saying somehow or other, it was all worked out, and 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 the tremendous amount of care that went into it. It's for us as fans to appreciate it. So that's the good part. Um, Viewer mail. We need a jingle. Da 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 da. They asked. What are we call? They they asked it. That's what <laughs> we're calling it. Coming into questions at. They coined it pod.com where you can send your questions to Roberta and me. I won't use the, the sender's name simply because she didn't give us permission, but hopefully she's listening and will recognize the question. But she's saying, what's with all the nicknames? What the hell is crab short for? Which is a great question because I think back then, first of all, that whole, you know, crab was at the country club, crab Colson, uh, Rogers and Cowan. That's, that's the firm he's with, which is a PR agency, not, not another ad agency, actually. I think back then you could have names like Duck and Crab, and it was very sort of country club set. Yeah, it was frat. It was frat boy stuff. It wasn't frat it's, boy they're, stuff. They're definitely yeah. not short for anything. Duck Duck's full name isn't isn't Duckles, and Crab's <laughs> full name isn't Crabarella. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, these are Nick. You know. Yeah, these are frat. These, exactly like uh, Peter is Humps. Peter Campbell's right. Humps. Right? <laughs> um, no, that's exactly what it is. These are these are. Um, White Lives Matter nicknames um, <laughs> from from way back. So Crab, yeah, Crab is just Crab, and Crab uh, stuck with it. He 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 kept Crab for whatever reason. But it does remind me of something we've been meaning to talk about for a long time. I think we we might have alluded to it once or twice, but not so much with Crab, but with Duck. It was really clear in the first season, and it and it persists. But it was especially clear in the first season. The first but there season. was a bit of a bird theme you Some had kind of a fetish around you know, something around. was going on i mean you yeah. had harry crane and apparently trudy vogel apparently vogel means something and um later we meet duck but birdie you know uh don calling don betty. betty birdie Bur uh, betty shooting birds in her in her nightgown 
the caged birds gift that Roger gives to Joan yeah. and that whole allusion to the caged birds. Somebody at some point pointed out that Sterling Cooper itself literally <laughs> means gilded cage. It's the <laughs> funniest thing ever. Sterling brilliant. Cooper gilded cage. I love it. Um, so there was a ton. Of, and then so then we meet Duck toward the end of season one. And it's like, of course, right. his name is Duck. Like it was another bird. And then Jane Siegel comes in in, in season two. So that's right. A bird. And there's a couple more that go on. I think it, it trailed off at this point. Another question from a coiner. Again, won't use names here, but this is a male. So hopefully he he will recognize his question. But he was talking about the fact that in Jet Set, and this is interesting because he posed this question prior to our publishing our discussion on it but after our recording of it well yeah we had we had already we had already done the recording but he he said he talked about Brian Bass performance in the donut scene i'll just read his his note cuz it's a really yeah. great question brian bass performance in the donut scene is one of my favorites from the whole series without saying a word he wraps up the story that started his dinner with the client and the ken cosgrove dinner the fact that kenny who he previously has a crush on is the most abhorrent in his views regarding gay men and homosexuality is extra stinging for Sal. With every fiber in his body, Sal is trying to keep it together, even though he knows the general atmosphere of the office, hearing them, hearing them speak how they do must have been jarring. What do you think of this scene? Now, this is before we even discuss this scene. Well, but before we published our discussion of this right, scene. Right, we had already had the discussion. So here's, I want to I say something to this, because when you forwarded me this email i was so upset that we had missed this <laughs> we missed ken and here's I'll, and i'm gonna tell you exact. i'll tell you why why it happens what happens is sometimes we're a little too close to the content and part of what i keep trying to do as you hear is i try to go back to that sort of fresh eyed i've never seen this before but the truth is it is all one big series to us as well. And I, I lose, we lose some of those details. So like if I had been a new, you know, the first time we watched that jumped out at us because like the last thing we had seen was Sal have this crush on Ken. But I, I, I think the distance and I don't know, I just, I feel, I mean, it was such a huge thing to miss and such an inform, uh, <laughs> such a, well, it's a great point by 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 the by the listener, and also we're not machines or encyclopedias, so no, there's no, stuff no, that I'm we either saying, don't I think, don't don't hit on or don't get to or don't notice. Right, but my point is, I think we both noticed it with the first time we watched. It's just now we're watching and we're just sort of trying to catalog all the important things to talk about, and you miss yeah. you miss things. I just felt bad because it's the kind of thing that that very much hurts my heart. <laughs> and um, not not it doesn't hurt my heart that I missed a detail of Mad Men. It hurts my heart the the for those car you know for Sal right like it's it just, just heartbreaking no question and yeah but that's why it's great to have listeners and that we we keep the dialogue going and they bring up things that we miss and exactly and, and we miss and tons of stuff it's back and this forth one, yeah this one totally. just hurt this one just hurt me like we miss tons of stuff we <laughs> we've talked about this it happens all the time be like shit Dan like literally about a scene we talked about or about even an aspect of a scene we talked about and then we miss something. Fine, it's going to happen all the time. The show is eminently chewable, as we've said. It's endless. We're going to miss stuff. But this one, this one hurt. <laughs> Roberta doesn't like missing details about gay men in the show. It's just, I, it's too much. It's too much to bear. I get it. Listen, much. I understand. 
Um, but uh, but you're right, absolutely, uh, Coiner. This huge is miss. Um, this is well, not so much about the miss, but it's an awesome point about about Sal. You know, we we spent a lot of time on the on the Sal and Ken thing in that episode, Gold Violin, and then um, we we kind of even left it as so. What does Sal do with this? Like, what does he? Right. And well, before he has a real chance to even do anything with it, he 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 sees what's in Ken's heart with regard to homosexuality. And it's, um, again, any other show would have like hammered on it or made a whole thing about it or follows, followed Sal home with what happens next. Like he would have pulled the lighter out. We, we, yeah. Something, <laughs> right. Or thrown thrown, thrown, it, in thrown the trash, it away. Right? Exactly. <laughs> um, so for, for Chauncey to find, <laughs> we, <laughs> we, um, but no, we're left to fill in the blanks. We're left to to just let to just sit with Sal's disappointment, which is which is um it's devastating, but it's also profound because if you're Sal, it's 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 just another excuse, it's another reason it's another justification for the life that he's living or the life he's not living. Um, because see that if you make one false move and you're just forget it, you, you, you never recover from these things. So yeah, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking in its, in how we as the audience have to fill in the blank and in a way that makes it richer, right? Because now we're, that's the back and forth that that's what you, you're putting into the bucket too. So you can imagine just how someone like Sal feels and, um, I wonder if they kept the donut account still. I, I still don't know if that's something that was. Uh, <laughs> what was the lemon thing on. called? Lemon airs. The lemon airs. Yeah, the lemon air. <laughs> All right, I'm but starving. Just, <laughs> nowadays, if but but nowadays, if you bring three dozen donuts into an office, people will kick you in the nuts because it's sort of like. <laughs> Uh, what are you doing with the with the friggin' the sugar and the carbs and the um, keto and like you know like it would be yeah but you know what they'd all be gone but that you'd still catch shit for yeah, it yeah it's both it's both they you be at shit for it and they disappear both happens well I don't think there's any I don't think there's any um, mystery behind uh, the fact that you know the gourmet donut shops have come in over the last five years you know this big planet donut and all these big we have a krispy kreme in jc yeah and it's all um at the same time that weed is getting legalized oh, that's very funny everywhere so between the cupcakes and the donuts that's very in conjunction funny. with the weed you know culture shifting we have a few stores popping up in in jersey city also that will clearly be weed stores <laughs> Exactly. They're, they're, they're definitely already priming Like themselves. it already says dispensary and then they're well, just says, waiting to fill in the first sh- word. It, like there's like a smoke shop. Yeah. You guys, this has been fun. We just wanted to hang and chill and chill and hang and have some lemon airs. <laughs> we'll see y'all. We'll see y'all in a few weeks. Thanks, everybody. Hey, Coiners, we're so glad you're enjoying the show. Please give us rave reviews on Apple Podcasts and share us on social media. If you'd like to support us, we are at patreon.com slash theycoinditpod. Our members get extras and outtakes. We love hearing from you. And yet, we've been giving you the wrong email address. Reach us at questions at theycoinditpod.com. Hang with us on Twitter and Instagram, TCI Mad Men Pod. We've got so much more Mad Men to get to and more special guests. We're looking forward to all of it with you. See you next episode.